Hello, I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Coming up after the news, it's Philosophy Talk. Our topic today is progress and the environment. All around the world, progress is occurring, but the environment is getting wrecked. So how do we bring ourselves more in harmony with the environment? What do we need to give up? Can we demand similar sacrifices from the poor and developing nations that are desperately trying to uh, catch up with the first world? We'll discuss these questions and more with our guest, Terry Taminen, former head of the California EPA, currently Cabinet Secretary to Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Progress and the Environment, a special episode of our program, recorded in front of a live audience at the Sacopolis Library Galleria in Sacramento. We'll dig in when Philosophy Talk continues after the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. Today we've taken Philosophy Talk on the road. We're in Sacramento, California at the Sacopolis Library Galleria. I'm glad you get to say Sacopolis. I don't think I could do it, Ken. Today's event is made possible by the Stanford Alumni Association and the Sacramento Stanford Association. We're pleased to be presenting the program in front of a live audience of the Sacramento Stanford community. Wherever our conversation originates, it eventually migrates to the air via 91.7 KALW, local and innovative public radio for San Francisco. And from the air, it migrates to the internet via our blog, theblog.philosophytalk.org. Ken, our topic today is progress and the environment. Now, that's a great topic, but what in the world does it have to do with philosophy? Oh, John, it has all kinds of things to do with philosophy. Take the question of why we should care about the environment. You might think that the environment is intrinsically valuable. Didn't we learn that from John Muir? That the environment is, is not just valuable because it's of use to us. It's valuable because it's just valuable. All those redwood trees and little bugs and mosquitoes and things, it's just valuable. Right. And if it's just valuable, then if we harm it, if we do wrong to it, we do something morally wrong because it's morally wrong to violate things that have intrinsic value. So it might just be, you know, it's wrong to diminish the animal habitat, to pollute the earth, to warm the oceans to, you know, so that I, the fish die. I suppose some spoiled sport philosopher, though, might ask, well, what is intrinsic value? And well, if the environment is just there all by itself and there's no one around to be conscious or made happy, who cares? Well, that's true. But you could say, okay, even if the environment isn't intrinsically valuable, there's still room for philosophy because there's the question of its instrumental or extrinsic value. Look, we live in this environment. It has to be able to s sustain our lives, and we live in it together. So look, if you put all your dirt stuff, you rich guy, put all your dirty stuff, all your pollution from all the energy you use into the atmosphere and into the waters, and then there's none left for me to use as I'm trying to grow in the developed world, then I say, hey, wait a minute, you should, you should fix it. You ruined it, you fix it. Well, so there's a question of international justice. Yeah, international justice, but if all those people in the third world start using up stuff at the same rate we do, we're all going to be in more trouble than we are now. The only reasonable thing for us to do is not let them develop. There's that. There's that. We, we ruined it, we had our party, and you can't come along. And there's also, what do we owe to future generations? I mean, we could just have a really grand party and despoil the earth, and we could have a grand time doing it, consuming out the wazoo. But then... Future generations are going to say, hey, you smucks, you ruined this thing. You should, have, you should have left some for me. Hey, I got news for you. Future generations don't exist yet. 
So you can't owe anything to something that doesn't exist. Isn't that a basic philosophical principle? So this is all just a fallacy. No, no, that's not a basic philosophical principle. We do have obligations to future generations. Now you might ask, where do they come from, given that they don't exist yet? But that's a tricky thing. So look, there's lots of philosophy here, John. Lots of philosophy. Boy, there is lots of philosophy here. I mean, uh, all this uh, environment, this world, this ecology that we hold in common seems to pose a problem. We hold it in common with rich and poor, with present and future. What in the world, what kind of principles does justice obtain in a case well, like that? That's a good question. And this thing about holding it in common, we can't do it on our own. I can't fix it on my own. You can't fix it on your own. We can only fix it together. That's called the problem of the commons. How do we solve the problems of the commons? And you know what? To help us think about that, we have the one and only one man who can solve this problem in 60 seconds. That's Ian Scholes, our 60-second philosopher. Ian Schultz. Garrett Hardin was a biologist at UC Santa Barbara. In 1968, he wrote an essay for Science Magazine. Though it was about population control, it had a major impact on the then-fledgling environmental movement. He called the essay the tragedy of the commons, actually coining the term commons as it is used today when environmentalists talk about sustainability. In the essay, Hardin proposed a thought experiment. Imagine a pasture shared by X number of shepherds. Should a shepherd buy another sheep? Well, if he buys the sheep, he alone will reap the positive, the profit when he sells it, but the negative, the cost of overgrazing, will be shared by all the shepherds. Therefore, buy the sheep. QED. The trouble is, if every shepherd comes to the same conclusion before you know it, it's all sheep and no grass. Famine, chaos, the end of civilization, the whole nine yards. For evidence of tragedy in real-world commons, he pointed out that there is only one Yosemite Valley where its population seems to grow without limit. The values that visitors seek in the parks are steadily eroded. About pollution, he said, the rational man finds that his share of the cost of the wastes he discharges into the commons is less than the cost of purifying his wastes. We are locked into a system of fouling our own nest. Solutions? He favored more bureaucratic watchdogs, though he saw that as a potential problem since bureaucracies are prone to cronyism, corruption, and incompetence. FEMA, anyone? And he wanted new ethics. He wrote, we need not actually forbid a citizen park as long as he wants to. We need merely make it increasingly expensive for him to do so. Not prohibition, but carefully biased options are what we offer him. A Madison Avenue man might call this persuasion. I prefer the greater candor of the word coercion. Garrett Hardin once told Skeptic Magazine, family size cannot be left to individual decisions. You don't have to be brutal about it. You can use incentives. But control of population will have to take the form of mutual coercion. He held other stronger opinions. In an interview, he called the Emma Lazarus poem on the Statue of Liberty pornography. You know, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. Not only was he anti-immigration, he was pro-abortion, believed that aid to starving Africans only encouraged population growth, and didn't think infanticide was such a bad idea. To some, this may hint of racism, social Darwinism, and eugenics, which he did, in fact, support. Still, he put his money where his mouth was, population reduction-wise. In 2003, Garrett Hardin and his wife took their own lives. He was 88, she was 81. And in his central metaphor, the tragedy of the commons, I don't think he was wrong. Take one little example. In the last decade, a certain type of marine life was overfished to the point of extinction. Why? Well, we do like our black and red snapper, don't we? And that buffalo meat was awfully tasty, wasn't it? Well, it lasted. I gotta go. Want to hear more? You can hear the rest of the program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or, for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.